0: podcast listeners i'm your host jacko's wetsuit and today it is monday july eleventh, 2022 and joining me via zoom are three members of the nk news and nk pro team to discuss some of the recent news stories out of and about north korea but before we begin of course a reminder to please leave a review about this podcast on itunes or whatever platform you use spotify youtube etc and share it with colleagues and friends secondly check out nk news where you can find all the in-depth stories written by the excellent journalists that we'll be talking about today consider buying a subscription for a year it's more affordable than you think in fact if you sign up for the annual plan it's less than the cup of coffee per day and that helps to fund the excellent journalism that my colleagues put out each and every day thirdly follow us all on twitter and nknews.org on twitter you'll find our individual handles in the show notes now to introduce our three guests today, we have my colleagues, Jongmin Kim, Yifeng Bremer, and James Fretwell. Welcome on the show. All right, James, you, uh, you recently wrote the, uh, the Month in Review for June 2022. So we're going to start with you, uh, the NK Pro product. All NK Pro subscribers, of course, receive a Month in Review at the beginning of the following month. Uh, and for today's podcast, you've picked three stories from that review that deserve our special attention. And we'll start off with, uh, during President Yoon's meetings with uh, NATO leaders in Spain, as well as in Singapore at the Shangri-La Dialogue, there was quite a bit of talk about trilateral cooperation. Now, trilateral, by my understanding, usually means three sides. Who are the three sides here and what kind of cooperation are we talking about?
1: three sides we're talking about are the U.S., South Korea, and
0: Japan. Um, hold on a minute are... i've just done a double take you can't see because my camera's not turned on but japan you say japan, japan. indeed this is quite a change from the
1: last five years that was why um, these trilateral meetings were so important um especially the one at the naso summit between yeah. uh yun song yo Kishida and joe biden this was the first top level trilateral meeting since t- uh, september 2017. Goodness, it was also a complete change of leadership. Um, yeah. at two, in 2017, we had Donald Trump as president of the U.S. and also Moon Jae-in as uh, president of South Korea. Of course, Donald Trump was always a little bit, you know, wary about alliances. Mm. Uh, Moon Jae-in wasn't too keen on Japan, and under Moon Jae-in's watch, um, because of uh, historical tensions dating back to uh, japan's colonial rule of the peninsula uh, relations between japan and south korea really deteriorated so june really marked a kind of uh, rejuvenation of the trilateral relationship and that's really great news for washington because in order to uh, respond to the threats from north korea and china it really wants its allies in the region on the same page
0: is President Yun Son-yol himself enthusiastic about trilateral cooperation and working more closely with Japan? He's very enthusiastic,
1: but mm. we're not too sure about uh, Japan's position. Japan, I, I suppose, does want to improve relations with South Korea, of course, uh, but it's wary of how, uh, it's it, it, from its perspective, in the past, it signed deals with, with South Korea uh, about uh, historical issues um, for example when the two established diplomatic relations in 1965 there was also a deal on the comfort women issue in 2015 Um, so from japan's perspective it's it's dealt with all these historical mm. uh, disputes in in previous treaties but south korea especially under um, more left-leaning uh, administrations, uh, these these deals kind of fall apart. So even though Yoon, the new South Korean president, he's come into office, he's saying one of the things he really wants to do is improve relations with Tokyo. Japan's a little bit wary. It, it wants South Korea to make the first move and doesn't mm. want to make yet another, you know, supposedly breakthrough deal, only to have it fall apart um, because you know, for what because uh South Korea. Uh, another administration comes in and doesn't see Tokyo as sincerely uh, reflecting on it on its past actions Um looking forward what's going to be really important is the um court case the 2018 court ruling on uh, Mitsubishi and forced laborers during uh during World War II so um South Korea could liquidate the um seized assets from japanese um companies in korea and give it out as compensation to uh south korean forced laborers and this could really damage relations with japan before Yoon has even been able to start improving them so yeah that's going to be the the really big one to look forward
0: okay now obviously this was uh uh, the uh, assassination of uh, Abe Shinzo was quite a bit after you wrote your uh, month-in-review, so that you couldn't have predicted that. But President Yoon was very quick off the mark in sending a, uh, a message of condolences on behalf of the Korean people, wasn't he?
1: Well, I mean, not not so much. There were, there was a little bit of waiting to see how South Korea would respond to uh, Shinzo Abe's killing. Um he did eventually, the, the South Korean presidential office did eventually issue a statement. I I mean, you know, we'll we'll have to wait and see um how the I think how the Japanese electorate uh reacts, whether they see South Korea's statements as, you know, tr- truly meaningful. Um yeah, but, but in 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 my eyes, I think the um the upcoming court's ruling on the forced labor issue is going to be. Uh, the really big hurdle to overcome uh, in order to improve relations between Seoul and Tokyo.
0: Okay, uh, tell us about the uh, RIMPAC exercises and missile defense drills. Uh, what is being done here? Well, this was another
1: big, uh, important element of trilateral cooperation between South Korea, the US, and Japan in June. RIMPAC uh, are the world's largest naval exercises 26 countries are going to be participating from late june to early august um it includes the quad members uh so that's japan india and australia uh south korea's largest ever contribution to these exercises so i think it um the us is going to be really happy about this um you know as, as i said earlier it's it's all of its allies coming together to work uh, cooperate militarily in the region against north korea uh, and and, uh, in response to chinese assertiveness Um, south korea is also going to be joining the us japan australia and canada for the pacific dragon missile defense exercises in early august now these are important because even though the exercises have been conducted over the last two years um it's the first time that the uh, that they've been publicized since 2016 i believe um so again it's it's this june was really a month of uh, the us south korea japan uh coming together a lot of these first meetings first uh, military exercises for a number of years i think it more than anything is sending a message to north korea um, saying that u.s alliances are strong um, and that if north korea uh, ever thinks about attacking um then it's going to get a, a very strong coordinated
0: um response and North Korea calls some of these exercises nuclear bomb-dropping drills. Is that a fair assessment?
1: Um, well, so that was in response to the uh, B one B uh, deployments to Guam. Uh, the US has said it's eliminated those aircraft's nuclear mission
0: in '94. So, so not really a fair assessment. It sounds like right, right. And how has has North Korea released any statements or said anything in response to these? Uh, meetings and and talks about trilateral cooperation uh, and exercises
1: yeah the dprk foreign ministry uh describes the uh, south korea japan us uh relationship as an alliance which which it isn't the us has bilateral alliances but there's no trilateral Mm. alliance between seoul and tokyo uh they describe the nato summit as part of washington's plan to contain russia and china by both Uh, militarizing Europe and the Asia Pacific. Uh, The foreign ministry also um, described South Korea's largest uh, scale naval fleet at the RIMPAC exercises as lunacy to destroy peace and stability Mm. in the Korean peninsula, as well as the Asia Pacific region. So they're not happy. They know Mm. that um, increased trilateral cooperation is is against their interests i'm sure mm. they they were much happier when south when the us was
0: unable to bring south korea and japan together right yeah they uh, they do like their strong words like lunacy <laughs> yeah don't they uh, moving on to uh to jongmin now now they say that great minds think alike and jongmin you and james have both picked two of the same stories to discuss today so i'm gonna ask jongmin to take the lead on this one and then james you can fill in some gaps if necessary Uh, Park San-hak is a a famous North Korean defector who runs the group Fighters for a Free North Korea here in South Korea, and they often put balloons up in the air to send propaganda to North Korea. Uh, Recently, Mr. Park claimed to have sent medical assistance in the direction of the DPRK. Meanwhile, Pyongyang claimed that it is precisely foreign objects like balloons that are spreading COVID-19 into the country, uh, and they're clearly talking about Park San-hak and his group. So uh, let's start with the basics. What is he actually sending these days? How often is he sending it? And is it actually proven to be reaching anywhere north of the demilitarized zone, Jongmin.
2: Well, starting with your final question, uh, there is no confirmation that any of the things that he has flown towards North Korea has reached the North Korean territory, at least the things that were sent this year. Uh, this year, there were a total of four known launches from Pakistan Ak and FFNK. The first one was uh, the one where Pakistan attached a poster of uh, the, the big picture of mm. Yun Sagar's face on it, um, saying that Yun Sagar won the election. And three other uh, launches were early June, late June, and then uh, July 6th. And all three of these were about COVID 19. This was after North Korea. Said that there was an outbreak in the country and Park Sung-hak said that he will stop launching anti-regime leaflets but he will move towards um, launching um, items such as a uh, painkillers and masks and vitamin c supplements and the most recent one Park sung said that uh, a lot of them were through the donations from people the South Korean people and the in, in LA the gyopos and mm. um he The the latest one was from Kimpo, Gyeonggi Province near the border. And uh, the the ones that he sent recently, all four of them were in the middle of the night. Um, This was the third medical aid launch since early June. And he has been promising to stop anti-regime leaflets. But the latest one, I think it's kind of tricky to count it not as an anti-regime leaflet, but the poster attached to one of the balloons it directly rejected the North Korean claim that the alien things such as balloons spread COVID-19 into the country. Pak Sangak was saying in the banner, including a, a photo of Kim Jong-un crying, which is from the 2012 um, mourning of his father, which in, 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 in and of itself could be counted as an insult from North Koreans' point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, he was saying that the, the COVID-19 virus actually came through the China-North Korea border and the April 25th military parade became the super spreader. So Pakistan was saying it was not us, but the North Korean regime that spread the Mm. COVID-19 virus.
0: Now, uh, isn't it also the case that when he sent the most recent uh, launch that it was uh, during particularly bad weather?
2: Right, Uh, the latest one and the previous one itself uh, as well. uh, If you look at the video, especially the last one, we could see that it showed rain and also thunder as well. But when I asked Park Sung Hug after the launch, I asked, um, wasn't the weather a bit bad for the balloon launch? What he said was, um, raining does not matter, mm. but the direction of the wind matters. Yeah. So he was stressing that the, at this time of the year, the wind blows from the south to the north.
0: Right. Now, Park Sung Haak is under some legal charges here in South Korea, specifically for violating the controversial anti leafleting law that was passed during the Moon Jae in administration. How is that going? How are Park's legal challenges?
2: Right, he is indicted for um, the the balloon launch that he did in two thousand twenty one. But he's uh, he already challenged the law multiple times, and um, he has been going against the law basically. Although it is an activity that's punishable um, according to that anti leaflet law. Um, interesting thing is that um, the unification ministry stands. Is not that different, um, even if it's a conservative government. Um, the <laughs> unification minister recently in a press conference said that um, it's better for these activists, especially Pak naming Pakistan Hak, saying that um, they understand the Chunjiang, the loyalty, yeah. um, but it's better to refrain considering the sensit- sensitivity. Uh, regarding the inter-Korean relations and the unification ministry has been issuing the same statement against Park sung hos um, balloon launches.
0: Right. Now, uh, some activists in South Korea criticize Park and his group fighters for a free North Korea, saying that their balloons seem to be more about spreading anti-North Korean propaganda in the eyes of their South Korean and American donors so that money will keep flowing. Is there any validity to that?
2: Uh, James? <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's going to be a difficult one to answer. I mean, Park Sanghak does publicize uh, his balloon launches the most. Uh, I think the the concerning thing, the thing to watch out for uh, to me is how North Korea reacted to anti-regime leaflets in the past. Um, Remember in June 2020, it blew up. The um, multi-million-dollar South Korean-funded inter-Korean liaison office in Kaesong, uh, in response to these leaflets, and in October 2014, uh, it fired uh, anti-aircraft machine guns uh, across the, the the border, and these bullets ended up in a in a nearby South Korean village. Now. North Korea claims that uh, it's COVID-19 outbreak came from alien things uh, from near the border with South Korea. So you have to wonder if Pak Song hak keeps um, really publicly saying we're, we, we're going to keep sending items over the border, how is North Korea going to react? And as Jong-min was saying earlier, the, the UN administration has said that it, um, that it will um, try and uh, you know, once the leaflet launches, the activists to uh, to abide by the law. Mm. But Yoon is in a really tough position because remember, it was it was the previous Moon administration that um, pushed this law through in the National uh, Assembly, the left wing Democratic Party, and it was the uh, now ruling People Power Party that uh, held you know long filibusters real opposition to to this law so if you uh, clamps down on the activists well he might be able to uh, you know prevent some kind of military crisis uh, a strong response from north korea against the leaflets but he's going to be i think really criticized both domestically and internationally by people that will accuse him of cracking down on on free speech of appeasing mm. the, um, of the the Kim regime in the same way that Moon Jae-in supposedly did, um, and that's going to be a big problem for Yoon because obviously he's he's built his p- foreign policy around how you know he's really going to join in with the US in in its regional efforts, uh, you know, take a tougher stance on North Korea. But of course, if he doesn't uh, clamp down on these leaflet launches, well, then uh, Pak Hang will probably keep sending items over the border. And um, yeah, we're gonna have to wait and see uh, if and how North Korea responds. And I think it could be quite ugly.
2: And also when I asked Park Sang-hak what he thought of the conservative government um, unit administration's um, remarks on how they wanted defector activists to refrain from themselves. Um, Park said that it's not surprising that Kwon says, unification ministry is saying that referring to how the previous conservative administrations, for example, during the Park administration, he said that the language was same, asking for restraint towards these organizations. And it seems like regardless of how the minister asked the activists to refrain, it's, it sounded like Park's going to continue anyways.
0: Right. Wow. Okay. Well, let's keep an eye on that. Uh, Yifeng, it's your turn. Uh, you published an extensive story on NK Pro about a ship, a cargo ship, that appears to have made a direct voyage from Busan to the North Korean West Coast port of Nampo uh, in violation of at least South Korean sanctions. And I understand that this vessel is now owned by a North Korean entity. Can you tell us more
3: about that? Well, we don't actually know if it's owned by a North Korean entity right ah. now. But what, what experts say is that given the details of the the vessel's journey, um, it's likely that the vessel has been acquired by Pyongyang mm. and in the meantime also used to make a delivery on its arrival trip. Delivering so, yeah, goods was... from
0: South Korea to North Korea?
3: No, based on documents from the Busan port, we saw that in Busan it only did a crew change. So 16 people arrived in Busan mm-hmm. and the vessel left with eight people to Nampo, but it was carrying. Several containers and also two objects that looked like either vehicles or some kind of machinery. And we noticed mm. based on high definition uh, satellite imagery, mm. which we could see from both the time it was in Busan and the time it was in Nampo. So, yeah, there's a lot of questions surrounding this trip, but yeah. it's very interesting.
0: A little bit more about the crew
3: change. The people who got on, are they South Koreans? We don't know. We don't know <laughs> anything about the nationality of ah. the people on board of the ship. Uh, The Busan Port Authority would not give us that information. Is this sort
0: of thing easy to do? I mean, could North Korea, in theory, have a ship come from Busan to Nampo every month as long as it has the the money and the connections to get a ship that's going for sale?
3: In theory, they could, depending on how good of a job the authorities do in trying to prevent this. And what it seems from this journey right now is that at least... In busan people were not really paying attention to what was going on with this vessel and oh. um, there's a lot of suspicious things going on the vessel was flagged uh, it was first a chinese vessel and then it was flagged to the country of new that's a very small island state near new zealand
0: oh, that's, N-I-U-E. Uh, just...
3: that's right and it's it's it was flagged for only one journey hmm. and that is already yeah a warning sign and the owner of the vessel was registered to the Marshall Islands, and it was also, yeah, just there's there's a lot of things that basically seem like the way North Korea has acquired vessels in the past. So mm-hmm. yeah,
0: if this is a violation of uh, of sanctions, unilateral South Korean sanctions and UN sanctions, who's at fault for not properly enforcing them? Was the South Korean government lax?
3: I think I think you could say so. Yeah, I mean, individual countries are responsible for monitoring. Uh, what happens in their ports and whether any of the vessels uh, that arrive in the ports and go through them are implicated in some kind of sanction violation. So, in this case, yes, I think you could say that uh, at least the Busan port should have done a better job in trying to find out what this vessel uh, was doing and where it was going. Yeah.
0: Well, this ship uh, called the Anhai Six, when it docked in Busan in June, was it? Could it have been predicted that it was heading to Nampo or anywhere in North Korea?
3: Now that's a very difficult question. I, maybe maybe it's not fair to say that they could have completely prevented it because the, the vessel said that it's it, it didn't say we're going to Nampo, right? It gave right. A, a, a false uh, information. Yep. But I think if if you as a port can list a couple of aspects that are very common in dodgy journeys then there would have definitely been some red flags concerning the documents that this mm-hmm. vessel provided, yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and are there some existing suspected connections between the newA ship registry and North Korean sanctioned entities?
3: Well, we know that uh, the company that flagged the vessel, which is based in Singapore, on, through their website, uh, I found this link to another domain, uh marinecoast.com and when you go to that website you can see that the company that flagged this vessel is part of a network of companies that mm. flags vessel to small states like tuvalu kiribati and all of these countries have been used by north korea to disguise its vessels and some of these companies have the exclusive agency right to flag these vessels so yes there is definitely Uh, a past of doing some kind of business uh, with North Korea, whether they knew that at the time or not.
0: And Singapore certainly has an active history of trading and shipping to North Korea. In fact, I remember in 2010 or 2011, trying to visit the North Korean embassy in Singapore, and it was actually located uh, inside the office of a shipping company.
3: Oh, interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. And they had names of ships on
0: the board and those names sure enough they looked like korean names but all the staff yeah. there were uh, were singaporean chinese there was not a single north korean there
3: wow yeah well there uh, you go
0: <laughs> and what is the ship believed to be doing now in nampo
3: well what we can see from satellite imagery right now is that it's just hanging out hanging around uh, outside of the gates of Nampo, which is mm-hmm. consistent to what we've seen with other ships presumably it's quarantining before it can actually enter the port Deliver its goods and presumably after that, just being used by North Korean authorities as a new vessel. So, yeah, probably it'll be there for at least a couple more weeks. Mm.
0: All right. Um, let's move on to the, uh, the next story. Uh, Jongmin and James, what is this I hear about North Korea adopting a quote major military action plan for units facing South Korea that was announced during a recent three day Central Military Commission meeting? Who wants to kick that off?
2: I can explain. So this has been a few weeks since they revealed this. Um, there was a, a very three-day major military um, meeting led by Kim Jong Un, and mm. that's quite uh, the length. The length of the meeting itself was quite rare because um, it's usually less than three days, and it also got a lot of headlines because Kim Jong Un was sitting next to the map that showed, censored, but still showed the map of South Korean coastal area, including the East Coast. And yeah. in the television footage of the meeting, it also showed the Southwest region of, of South Korea. So, but they did not explain anything related to South Korea or what the plan was about, but they mentioned that they adopted a military major military action plan for the frontline units. They, didn't, they did not mention South Korea directly, mm-hmm. but they said that it's for the frontline units, um, but that basically means the units that are facing South Korea.
0: Right. And in the story that you wrote, uh, you included an animated GIF image of a North Korean Air Force commander pointing at this map that you said is censored. So it's blurred out. It, was it blurred out in North Korea or was it blurred out uh, on their television?
2: It was blurred out um, in the North Korean television. The way they showed it, it, it showed as the blurred. Version of it, right. um, Colin actually found that. But it's interesting because even when it's blurred, mm. it's very obvious it's South Korea. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, when they show the map and they show the region, there is a reason for them to show them. It's uh, they they know that they probably know that South Koreans are watching it, and it would have been meant something as a signal potentially. Um, but because the meeting itself did not include much details, we do not know what exactly what they talked about. But the, when I met the South Korean unification minister, I asked him what this means. And yeah. I asked what constitutes a breach of the 2018 inter-Korean agreement between South Korea and North Korea. Mm. And he said that, he said that the, such meetings that adopt military action plans for the frontline units, it constitutes as breaching the spirit of right. the inter-Korean agreement.
0: Is this kind of major military plan for forward units uh, something that's precedented or is it something new?
2: Well, as I think
1: as John was saying, you know, the, the details weren't exactly clear, but we've we've got to remember the context of this situation. So sure. when North Korea says it's enhancing the operational capabilities of frontline units, uh, showing pictures of you know blurred but obvious maps of south korea uh, the big worry is that it could be something to do with tactical nuclear weapons um this is something that uh, kim jong-un said that he wants to develop in in january 21 at his landmark party congress speech in april the dprk tested a new short-range uh, nuclear capable missile that state media described as a tactical guided weapon and now uh, Pyongyang seems to be uh, there's been a lot of you know speculation about uh, is it and when will it uh, conduct its seventh nuclear test and a lot of uh, experts are saying that this seventh nuclear test will likely be uh, for a smaller warhead to put on this new tactical weapon
2: well but there are other multiple Possibilities, like James mentioned, it's like uh, not much detail, but tactical nuclear weapons deployment possibilities. South Korea definitely seems like they are putting that on the table and maintaining their readiness in case they actually do that. But there are other options, uh, other possibilities, such as how how we, if we look at the timing <clears throat> of the meeting, uh, it was actually also it could have been related to um, increasing mobilization of the soldiers regarding. Covid nineteen outbreak. Now that they are saying that it was from the inter Korean region, it could also have been about the about the standing ready against the alien things such as balloons. Considering right. the, if we think about the, the wording, military action plan, we saw this before. Um, although it could be something different, we saw this in June two thousand twenty when North Korean leader sister Kim Yo Jong was ordering, saying that upon authorization. Of the higher power which means kim jong-un yep. he told the military to go ahead with the military action plan and which they kind of did but kim jong-un suspended it at the end of the day but i'm just mentioning all these possibilities saying uh, to say that we don't know what don't it was know. about
0: right ifang back to you 41 percent of north koreans face malnourishment during the pandemic uh, based yes. on this new report Uh, Not just about North Korea, but hunger and malnourishment in the world, is my understanding. But it has some concerning statistics about North Korea. Uh, So first of all, who's published this report, Ivan?
3: So this report was jointly published by the Food and Agriculture Organization from the UN, International Fund for Agricultural Development, and uh, UNICEF, as well as the World Health Organization. So it's pretty authoritative. Yeah. Authoritative, so yeah.
0: Now, what data is it based on, given that those organizations haven't been able to be active in terms of uh, people on the ground in North Korea since the beginning of COVID?
3: Yeah, well, so this, this uh, report is about the years 2019 2000, till 2021. Ah. Uh, so there could have been some data that uh, was from pre-COVID uh, times. But as you say, right now, they don't have access to at least information on the ground. Yeah. But they do have some kind of way to kind of calculate this through statistical methods. And they have this kind of formula without going too much into detail about, you know, the the total quantity of foods produced in a country added to the total quantity imported and then adjusted to any change in stocks that may have occurred. So there there are some ways, uh, some data points they use to, yeah, make this listing of malnourishment in the world
0: can you give us some insight into the statistics what they say about north korea
3: well um uh, basically the, the statistics say that more than 40 percent of north koreans face uh, malnourishment at the moment that's a gigantic number yes could uh, you just uh,
0: define for our listeners a little bit what malnourishment means does that mean uh, skipping a meal a day or or what, what exactly does that mean
3: well that that basically means that the, the amount of nutrients and food and water that you're taking in on a daily basis is not enough to live a, a healthy life. So that's a quite broad definition, but basically it means that it 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 does, it does impact people's health a lot. And uh, the 41% amounts to about 10.7 million North Koreans who are suffering from yeah. uh, malnourishment at the moment.
0: And is there any um, thing in the report about where these people are i mean are there people in pyongyang who are going malnourished are they part of this 41 percent, or are they believed to be more out in the
3: provinces no so this this report does not include any more information about mm. demographics uh age it's about just the population population in general yeah. but you can assume that there are regional differences of course in north korea when it comes to malnourishment yeah right
0: uh now there is Perhaps one piece of good news in the report about child stunting. Tell us about that.
3: Yeah, this, it's said that the prevalence of stunted growth uh, has decreased compared to at least 10 years ago. So uh, from 2000, in 2012, about 26% of North Korean children were suffering impaired growth. The numbers for 2021 were not included, but at least the most recent years, 2020, it, it amounts to about 18.2% i don't really know exactly how it can have improved but at least uh, that would be some good news
0: yeah because that i mean child stunting is something that uh, you never properly recover from right and that's something that would live on for at least for the entirety of that generation so if north and south korea were to reunite today let's say that there would always be a population of shorter less physically Develop people who are, you know, from North Korea, and stunting also affects brain development. I think too, doesn't it, Efun? Do you have anything on that?
3: Well, no, I don't, okay. <laughs> I don't know about it.
0: No, no, that was a yeah, question um, without notice. But I, I have, I do recall reading or hearing somewhere that it, stunting is not just physical size; it's also right. things like uh, brain development and and IQ and ability to solve problems and things like that.
3: And if I can just add to that, we're, we're I mean, we're talking about good news, but we're, you have to imagine these. This is still hundreds of thousands of children in North right. Korea who are not getting who are not being fed enough right now yeah. and just to put it in perspective there are only a handful of countries who score worse on this yeah. index that that's countries like Somalia Madagascar Central right. Africa Haiti uh places where the food t- situation is known to be very dire so it's it's very surreal to imagine that just you know we 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 live in South Korea we ha- we have plenty of food and, and you can go out and get food everywhere and just you know a couple of kilometers north yeah. um so many people are suffering from this yeah
0: no you're right i mean i, I think uh, yeah good news is perhaps putting it too strongly it's a bit like saying your entire house is on fire but now one room less is on fire you know the living yeah, exactly. room is, is not burning but everything else still is so yeah exactly. you're right it's yeah. uh, uh it's relative and, and there's still way too many people uh, in North Korea suffering malnutrition, malnourishment and child stunting. Uh, thanks for that, Ifun. All right, uh, Jongmin. South Korea to forge new strategic command to counter North Korean threats, and South Korea's new military chief calls for ruthless response to provocations. That's a strong word there. Mm-hmm. So coming back to defense plans, Jongmin, you've written two stories, one day after another, about South Korea's defense system. What are the three axes of the three-axis defense system?
2: Good one, Jackal. Uh, so the three-axis system or three-pillar system. It's in Korean. Mm-hmm. And Yun has been mentioning that uh, in, during the election campaign trail for a lot. And then it's in. Um, it was included in the 110 national policy tasks, and now it's being implemented with the establishment, uh, potential establishment of strategic command as well. So the three axes are, yeah. first of all, uh, the first one is kill chain. Kill chain is a precision strike um, operation capability. When South Korea sees a, uh, the sign of an imminent attack, a missile attack from North Korea to the south, they basically shoot it down uh, before it flies, it uh-huh. is the is kill chain. The second okay, very part different in- from
0: the uh, the cold chain that we've been talking about for the last two and a half years <laughs> with the COVID vaccine. So the kill chain right,
2: it's a- uh,
0: precision strike. Would that also include a decapitation strike, for example, a a, a hypothetical mission to, to kill Kim Jong-un?
2: Well, so far, Yun has not mentioned directly about including that option into the kill chain, but he implied that by saying that South Korea will um, build the capacity for the kill chain, to not only strike the missile base, but also the origin of wow. the uh, control and command, which is leadership and which yep. probably means Kim Jong-un. Right. Um, the second part of the three axis system is Korea Air and Missile Defense System, KMD, uh, which is for shooting down missiles when they actually already flown before they reach their target in South Korea. Yeah. And the third part is- Wait, hold KMD. on, does that
0: include THAAD or is that totally separate?
2: I'll have to check that actually. I think it's not. Ah. But yeah, I'm not sure.
0: Okay. Yeah. And the third axis?
2: Third axis is Korea massive punishment and retaliation, oh. which is KMPR, after a North Korean attack was already conducted successfully. And this, and some people say that, well, they already attacked. What the, what's the point of punishment? Yeah. But if we think about deterrence capabilities, the assured capability of uh, being able to retaliate as a second strike, it's part of the deterrent system.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Now, President Yoon Song-yeol recently, apparently said to his commanders and top officials, if North Korea conducts provocations, we must punish swiftly and resolutely. And and you've mentioned that punishment there. Do we have any idea what the President Yoon's administration thinks is a provocation worthy of punishment?
2: That's a good point, Jaco, and exactly why I thought that sentence was problematic. Sure. The three axis system, including the kill chain, this is about an imminent attack that's clearly about to happen or have already happened. Mm-hmm. It's not about every single thing that South Korea sees as provocation. Yeah. President Yoon Suk Yeol has been using this word provocation very broadly. But very strictly, if we think about what constitutes three-axis system, it's about a imminent attack, not something like, for example, like North Korea shooting MR uh, multiple rocket launchers into the West Sea or something. That's not something that will prompt a right. three-axis system.
0: I- I'm s- reminded of November 2010 when Yongpyongdo was uh, was shelled by North Korea, and uh, President Kim Jong at that time was quite prepared to, uh, and I think he was very close to sending a. Mm. Uh, a swift and resolute punishment mission uh, to North Korea, but ultimately the Americans uh, held him back on that. So that one wonders whether President Yoon might, if there is a provocation, it's possible that that scenario could happen again. President Yoon might get a little bit too enthusiastic and the Americans might say, hold on, let's uh, slow down there.
2: Yeah, I think that's totally possible.
0: Uh, James, what are your thoughts about uh, escalation? When when you talk about swift and resolute punishment and being resol- uh, being ruthless, it does seem like one of those situations where suddenly miscalculations and mistakes could get made. Indeed, I mean, that's that's always the worry, isn't it? Uh,
1: I think during the campaign, though, Yoon was his his language was perhaps a, a little bit tougher on North Korea than than it and, and China actually than it is now. I think he's softened it a little bit, mm. and I suspect that actually that's because uh during the the election he really wanted to differentiate himself with the uh the democratic party with uh, Lee Jae-myung and and Moon Jae-in and really kind of paint them as kind of appeasing North Korea but Yoon yeah. the tough conservative would take a strong stand against North Korea so that's why that's one of the one of the reasons you should vote for him but now he's and now he's in office You know, as we as we saw with uh, his administration's position on the uh, sending leaflets and items into North Korea. Right. So I think, you know, the the UN administration definitely is uh, tightening relations with Japan, with the US strengthening military cooperation. But they definitely uh, I don't think they want to do anything to really ignite tensions on the peninsula because
0: uh, that's bad for everyone and South Korean people arms interested in that and it was the uh, incoming joint chiefs of staff chairman army general kim sung-gom who talked about the need for ruthless retaliation jong Jong-win, what do you know about his military background
2: well this is a very interesting person this is a south korean general decorated for an operation that took out bujanggombi armed north korean guerrillas in the 1990s and he also commanded two counterfire operations a few years ago against north korean open fire as well and he has just recently inaugurated with the previous chief one-in-char leaving office and retiring.
0: His mission, you mentioned back in the 1990s, to uh, to round up or to capture or kill the North Korean armed infiltrators. Was that there in Kangwon-do, the ones who had come from the submarine?
2: Uh, no, this was the land inter-Korean border. Yeah, and there were three uh, North Korean guerrillas that came in. That This is different from the Oh ah, yes. These three yeah, yeah, yeah. was
0: in 1992 uh May 22nd they went to Cholwon and they were shot to death in Cholwon.
2: Right the there were three of them and two of them were shot to death by the unit that was led by General Kim Sung-gum ah. um not general at the time but he led the unit yep. and another one got away but eventually got killed by another unit.
0: Gosh. All right well that's uh, so He's certainly uh, a man who's Got experience on the ground. He's not just a a theoretical general,
2: right? the All these three field experiences are considered very, very significant in the mm. history of inter-Korean conflict.
0: All right, our last story to talk about. Back to ifang again. North Korea eyes increased cooperation with Russia, Ukraine breakaway regions. That's the title of the uh, the story that you wrote for NK News. It's long been suspected that Vladimir Putin's war on Ukraine would drive North Korea closer to Russia, and now. We have some evidence that not only is that actually happening in practice, but North Korea is also linking up with the breakaway republics taken from Ukraine, namely Donetsk and Luhansk. What signs have we seen of this, Ivan?
3: Yeah, that's right. Um, basically, in May, the North Korean ambassador to Moscow, Sinong Chol, he met with uh, the two foreign ministers of the breakaway regions, Luhansk and Donetsk, in Moscow. Oh, they already have foreign to- ministers exactly yeah uh quote unquote it's it's still obviously a very contested area and yeah they've been discuss- discussing uh cooperation without going into much detail of what that might mean um and they unfortunately did not get back to me when i asked them what ah. that might mean yes but do they have a, a pr or
0: office or, a, or an email address to write to these breakaway yes, republics they, have,
3: they do they have a foo- a website that's fully in english gosh uh with an email address yeah, so they, it, I found a press release in English on their website. So that's yeah. very interesting.
0: That is very interesting. So what is the, uh, the situation right now around North Korean workers in Russia? I know, remember in uh, 2019, Russia reported that it had deported 18,000 North Korean workers back to North Korea in compliance with United Nations sanctions. But what's the situation now?
3: Oh, well, we don't know exact numbers right now, but we definitely know that there are North Korean workers in Russia. For Just for example, if, if you go on like the Russian version of, uh, let's say eBay, yeah, uh, and uh, go to the area uh, in the Far East, so that would be Vladivostok. There are many, many advertisements uh, right now for North Korean uh, cheap North Korean construction workers who would just yeah, you can just contract. So we definitely know that they're still there. Wow, uh, we don't know on what scale, uh, but there are definitely signs that in the future there will be larger numbers of North Korean workers to be employed in pretty remote regions of Russia because of uh, basically the DPRK ambassadors' uh, meetings with regional leaders uh, actually pledging huh. to send workers in the future again.
0: Larger numbers. Now, these, these workers are still supposedly blocked by United Nations sanctions. So right. is Russia simply deciding unilaterally not to enforce those sanctions?
3: I think you could say that, yeah. I think the fact that all these press releases are in public and literally for example there was one province uh, that uh, i also mentioned in my report let me see that i cannot find the name right now but uh, where north korea said it will help out with the uh, sending uh, people to work in the coal mines yeah uh, and it was just also in public in russian media and also right. on government websites so i think it's a signal that russia says we don't really care anymore yeah. about these sanctions and it's also Uh, North Korea signaling that, you know, we have options, we have people that we can work with still.
0: So you've mentioned both coal mines and uh, forestry or logging, those are two major industries. What other industries uh, do North Koreans work in in Russia?
3: I think that would be the main industries logging, traditionally, Hmm. a lot of uh, construction, right, possibly farming, but I think logging and construction are traditionally the most you know, where, where, where the highest numbers of North Korean workers could be seen in the past, yeah.
0: And who's, more, who's likely to gain more from this renewed closeness? Is it Russia or is it North Korea?
3: I think, I think it's mainly North Korea because it will give some opportunity you know, to open new networks or reopen old networks for smuggling, but also to raise foreign currency through labor exports. I think when you look at the people who, the russian officials who are engaging with north korea it's still very much very local very regional so we don't see these meetings on a national political level yet yeah
0: right okay well uh, from each of you uh, quick final thoughts just before we wrap
1: up today yeah um i think the thing that i'm really going to be keeping an eye on is the covid situation uh, mm. of course Yifeng earlier was talking about um, you know, that, that UN reports that really, uh, brings home how dire the humanitarian situation is in North Korea right now. The country is still really, you know, locked down because of its, its COVID measures. It's really paranoid that items from outside can transfer the virus. And that's really going to create a, a, a bottleneck for mm-hmm. for food supplies, for aid deliveries. Um, another thing related to COVID is, of course, um, in June, NK News spoke with Gavi, and Gavi says that they understand that North Korea has started administering COVID-19 vaccines from China, mm. um, but we're not sure you know, exactly what kind of vaccine, how many, where, or who they were provided to. So I think that's going to be another
0: really important thing to right. watch out for. Gosh, okay, Jongmin. What are you keeping an eye on for the next uh, few weeks?
2: Well, for me, the big black box that um, I'm still really curious about is the military action plan that North Korea adopted. We haven't seen much details on it, but if they do any follow up meetings, I think that's definitely worth a closer look. And I will also keep an eye on whether or not North Korean state level uh, media, such as KCNA or not respond to any of the Park sung balloon launches. So far, they didn't but it seems like Park's doing it on a very regular basis.
0: Gotcha. Okay. okay, any fun? What's uh, what's got your attention?
3: I think uh, I think we need to find more ways to kind of understand what's going on on the humanitarian front right now in North Korea. So yeah. that definitely has my priority for uh for this summer. Yeah.
0: Right, and uh, there's the uh, the summer uh, planting and harvest as well, and the uh, normally a time of either too much rain or not enough rain, so the weather is exactly. a great factor to be looking at as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, so- yeah,
3: North Korea is more and more vulnerable to extreme weather, which we will, of course, only see more of with climate change, yeah. That's right.
0: All right, well, thanks once again to Jongmin Kim, Ifang Bremer, and James Fretwell for joining me on the NK News Roundtable podcast. Today we'll be back again in four weeks' time to do another podcast. Uh, we're gonna do this monthly from now on. Uh, James, since he writes the month in review will definitely be there. And uh, uh, we'll have two other uh, NK News, NK Pro colleagues as well. It could be Fung and Jongmin again, or it could be others. Who's to say? That's the mystery of life, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, if you already have an NK News account, and if you're a think tank, business, or academic institution, don't forget to check out NK Pro. NK Pro subscribers, of course, receive the month in review that James puts together each month, a big PDF file, uh, also available uh, as an HTML. Our NK Pro platform offers unparalleled services, specifically catering to the needs of professionals who monitor developments on the Korean Peninsula. You can acquire about access or a free trial membership by writing an email to membership at nknews.org today. Our thanks, as always, to Arias Dare and Brian Betts for facilitating this podcast and to our post recording producer genius, Gabby Magnuson who cuts out all the extraneous noises hopefully some of my coughing awkward silences bodily functions etc thanks for listening again next time